All right, <clears throat> here we go. It's louder clap. Lauren got, she was just like, why'd you do those baby claps? Like, I got to see a spike. So. Oh, yeah, you got to do the clap. He did it again because I talked. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. All right, here we go. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, back on episode 397, we talked about whiskey being an investment, but now things have changed and we're reevaluating the current landscape and if collectible whiskey, and of course, namely bourbon, if it's on the decline, we consider changes in the bourbon market including increased interest from high net worthy communities. And there's also a nostalgia that we feel from the past when information about whiskey was a lot more accessible, but we recognize that changes are happening. After all, there is the other notion about the legality of selling alcohol without a license, and of course the penalties of investing in whiskey. But with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Q on the North Side, good old Matt Cusick, longtime friend of the show. Why do people automatically hate celebrity whiskey? We have been on a run of decent releases. Now, it should be noted that this uh, tweet came in uh, 2021. So this was really before the explosion of celebrity whiskey. I cannot keep up with how many celebrities have a whiskey out. You've got Eric Church, you got Jason Aldean, you got Brad Paisley, you've got several uh, rappers, and now Steph Curry has one out. It is all the rage if you are a celebrity. Get yourself a bourbon, get yourself a whiskey, get yourself a tequila. They just love getting in the space. Uh, the reason why is it's actually a natural fit if they happen to like the like a spirit, there is no reason why they shouldn't put their uh, name in the hat in the, in the business side. Now, here is the rub, though. If the product stinks, it doesn't matter whose name on it, what celebrity is connected to it, you're not going to sell a second bottle. So your first bottle can be sold because you are Ian Summerholder, but the second bottle is being sold because Ian Summerholder and Paul Wesley are putting together a pretty decent product and Brothers Bond. And so I bring those two up specifically because I've spent a lot of time with Ian and Paul, and they have really done a great job of not only honing their palates, but sitting down and listening to people in the industry, understanding the industry, and not just using their face to sell the product. They're getting their hands dirty. They're getting in there and they're blending. They're going to the distillery. They're going to the liquor stores and talking to the sales reps. I mean, they're treating it like a real business. So the reason why people hate celebrity whiskey or any celebrity brand is, let's face it, people are jealous of celebrities and we just naturally dislike them and they use their popularity for gain and a lot of us work our asses off to get where we are you know if someone came out and became a uh, a bourbon author a celebrity came a bourbon author and didn't put in the time i mean i'd probably be pretty upset about that but i also know it's not going to happen because it's too much work 
but you can slap your name on a whiskey brand and, you know, hope that your name will sell some bottles. And the thing is, it the way these deals are set up, the distillers take on most of the risk. It's very rare that a celebrity actually puts their own money into the product. There are a few exceptions, like The Rock, actually. That's his money in that tequila. But most of the time, the, the celebrities own like 10% of the brand or getting paid as a royalty or they're doing like a 50-50 profit split but they don't put their own money in. All the risk is on the distiller and whoever owns the brand. So in most of these cases, they really are just a figurehead or in a better term, a glorified brand ambassador. But that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for Q on the North side for his patience as uh, it took me two years to answer his call for above the char. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. Be safe out there. And remember, vodka sucks. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky. And you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring green for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And we got the whole gang here today once again. But this time, we're going to start looking into more of if you're sitting on a bunch of bourbon right now, is it the right thing to do? Should you be selling? Should you be getting out? Because is the collectible whiskey market on the decline? And we're going to take a, a few different angles at this because it's different and it's weird when you see this because you now see some bottles being sold for the most astronomical amounts as there's ever been. Mm -hmm. We can point to a few years ago when the Facebook markets were... On the run, it was impossible to find any, you know, BSM was gone, and that was the the central location of a lot of data. So people were buying a lot of stuff and selling a lot of stuff. And now that we are coming out of the pandemic, the pandemic, I felt like it was a, a big trigger that people were doing a lot of buying and selling and trading. We're now getting into a recession era, so people are starting to spend less, 
not buy as much. And so people are starting to sit on it. And it was, so we'll, we'll take this in a, in a few different angles to try to figure out exactly, is the whiskey market on a decline? And I think it's going to be a good follow-up to one of our previous episodes that we did on the last round when we talked about whiskey as an investment, because we talked about how over time, whiskey has still grown. It even All the data still shows that even today, if you are trying to buy a rare and collectible bottle, it will increase, it will be available, but the pool of people that are buying stuff is actually decreasing as well. So that means that the value is going to go down. So let's go ahead and we'll, we'll I kind of took 20 different angles but yeah, there. But. I'd like to revisit that if, <laughs> if the pool of people is getting smaller, because I think it's getting bigger, but Fred would know better. Well, I don't know. Okay, well, let's let's talk about the pool of people. And and I look at this as because, yes, uh, the, the whiskey market is growing in regards to the people getting into it. However, is it the same exact people that are getting into it for the reasons that you're listening to this podcast, because the the ones that are listening to this, I mean, if you're you're in, you're, you're listening, you're all in. But when BSM and when these secondary markets were very prolific, there was a gold rush for a lot of stuff. And I don't feel that the people that are getting into it now are getting into it for the gold rush sort of aspect of it. And so there is not this influx of people i've we personally have a friend that lives in nashville that has told me that he's gotten out a lot of the game because he doesn't feel like chasing stuff anymore and it doesn't really it just doesn't have time for it and so i just don't see the 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 rush of people going for it now don't get me wrong there's people that are waiting in lines they're camping out they're still trying to chase after blanton's at every single store maybe they're flipping it maybe they're not i don't know but i feel like the market and the, the pool of people that are buying on the secondary has actually gotten a lot lower. Well, I would think maybe, yeah, definitely the underground secondary market has gotten smaller and smaller, but I think it's become more mainstream through auctions. And yeah, because now it's not like this underground, like hidden good old boy community, you, you know, know, somebody, <laughs> know that... somebody to let you in. It's now like, you know, facilitating an auction house and people see these astronomical numbers and, Yes, we're going into a recession and there's going to be a lot of people affected, but the amount of wealth that has been built in the U.S. in the past 10 years is the the, the 1% is expanding, you know, and they they got a lot of money and a lot of disposable income. Should be spent. noted, we are not a part no, of that we're, percent. we're, yeah, we're with the middle class. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to be the ones struggling, but uh, there, there's a lot of money to be spent. And I think because the secondary community got shut down and now it's gone to more mainstream vehicles to get it out there i think it's you know a, a high-end buyer is not going to go on facebook and say hey john can you get me that van winkle and i'll meet you you know meet you in, in Home Depot cracker park barrel parking lot <laughs> and uh this and that no they're going to go to an event where they're seen where they can show off and be like look at this i don't know fred's more probably tapped into this than i am but that that would just be my i guess hypothesis well, I can tell you what I what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of uh, former Scotch drinkers in the venture capitalist space and Wall Street, places like that. They're leaving Scotch because they're tired of of having to pay twenty thousand dollars for a bottle. A McAllen with the uh, that's yeah. They're going from being shaped as a car or something. Yeah. They're they're comfortable uh, spending two thousand dollars a bottle, and and now that McAllen and some of these brands have eclipse those marks they're like i'm tired of you know so we're bourbon is getting the benefit of of some of the scotch products getting overpriced for those one percenters 
I recently had in a, a negotiation with a with the billionaire for for a private event, and the guy was like wanting to pay me way less than uh, I'm used to, and I'm like, I don't know, you're a fucking billionaire. I'm not gonna gonna <laughs> count out of this, but that's how they become billionaires. But basically, there's a new pool of buyers coming in, a new pool of buyers that were never on those Facebook pages, that were never interested in going to a, a bottle share. The actual 1% community, they're going to Aspen and they talk to each other and they are coming in droves to bourbon. And that's very scary if you are thinking that you can find an Elijah Craig 18-year-old because that's what they're getting. They don't care about Wild Turkey 101. They want that stuff. There is an incredible underground brokerage community servicing these private plane people. There's people who go and buy personal collections. They buy from retailers. And then they, for $250,000, they truck it all to this person's house, you know, after everything. But that, that is happening right now all over the place. And these people are not seen, they're not heard of, but they're affecting the market. The auction sites, unicorn auctions. Well, before, is a, you, before you start telling the auction sites, the, yeah. the question you said, is it scary for a consumer because we'll never see Elijah Craig 18 ever again? Is it scary because if you are going to pay it, you got to go and you got to either pay secondary prices. And if you go even today, I, gosh, I think you've talked about it before, Ryan, Elijah Craig 18 used to be $60 a bottle. Now I think it it's like 50. Now it's like 250. <laughs> or maybe 40s. It was $35. Yeah. I paid yeah. 35 bucks for it and early 2000s. So now that has exponentially increased. And even at the, the distillery gift shop, it's a very expensive bottle. Is it scary because thinking that as a consumer, like you've, you've just got to pay the couple hundred dollars to get it? Or is it to the point where you're not going to even find this anymore? Uh, I, I think it's a combination of both. Th- those prices are going to keep going up because these people are not going to be told no that they can't have it. And they're like I said, they're coming from Scotch where they're used to paying $2,000 a bottle. Uh, buying a $15,000 bottle of cognac is is not out of bounds for them. So bourbon to them... At like a, a $300 bottle. 300 This, is, this uh, the value to... That's, that's their for, benchmark. For them, a value proposition is paying someone $1,000 to get a $300 bottle. That's what they're looking at. They don't want to go to the store. They, they don't want to have to go there. They may come for an experience, but they expect that experience to come with those bottles. The, the high net worth community is in bourbon. You know, they may still have their, their toe in scotch, but for them, bourbon is a value. And so the bourbon community, in reaction to that, sees this, sees this growth, and they are beginning to cater to that a lot more. If you take a look, if you, if you follow what Woodford Reserve is sponsoring and some of the things that they are around, they are in those circles. And so they, they have that, uh, they have that Baccarat Crystal $2,000 one, right? That is created for that market. And, you know, we don't really care about it, right? The bourbon geek, we were like, yeah, it's Woodford, it's better Woodford, but it's not $2,000 good. But it is for that hedge fund manager who's coming down to Kentucky or, you know, just wants that bottle. It's that, that market is, is here and they will, they will shift the pricing. They will shift what's available and they do compete against each other in the auction space. 
And so like you can see what their interest where it is. And it's interesting. Whistlepig is one of their is one of their I've, one of their I've, products. Heard, I've heard this from several folks that yeah. Whistlepig is just like rich people love Whistlepig and they're gobbling it up by the like the, there was this my buddy owns a store in Lexington and he got it's kind of in the horse farm area of Nicholasville and he said I was the number one selling whistle pig in the state and I got every single boss hog and I sold them in, within a weekend, you know, through thir- wow. Keeneland. And it's like, who the hell is buying whistle pig <laughs> at $500, you know, boss hog, but people are. And I, I was blown away by it. Michter's whistle pig, the higher end Heaven Hill products. I, I don't think Sazer, this crowd is not like, you know, Gaga for Pappy. They're not. They're like, meh, you know. Is it because they, they've had it now? Is that one of those things, uh, yeah, it, or is they, it, or is it not as as a good investment per se? I think I think it's probably from an investment perspective. I think they probably see it as that that ceiling has been tapped, and there's realized there's unrealized potential in some of these other brands. And, and I keep going to Elijah Craig eighteen year. That's one of those that they have circled high value, greater returns later, or and it's a great drinker too. But one of the other things that's that's come out is they are. They are buying into these portfolios of like a, for, from an investment perspective. They buy in these like NFT companies that you will take, get a bottle of whiskey, and you own the NFT NFT for it, and that whiskey is stored in a vault. And these companies are beginning to get licensed within the SEC, and there's a belief that whiskey may start being regulated by the SEC for from an investment perspective like gold or something like that. And so there's there's a lot of stuff happening in in this money world that I I don't think anybody saw coming. It's fascinating. And I I'm not a finance guy, but like listening to these people talk about whiskey, like to them it's it's just another way to make money. They'll drink some of it, but it's it's money. Yeah, I I remember we had the economics professors on the show at one point two from UofL and they did a case study of how bourbon has increased in value. And that was, I believe from 2014 to 2017. Yeah. So and it was like average rate return, 200%. And you're was, like, where do you get that in any other investment? You know? And that kind of show you that there was a, there, that was, I believe that was the kind of gold rush of what we did see. But I, I kind of want to throw it back at you again. Like, is it on the decline? We talked about the pool of people. Let's talk about the auction houses. We have seen the shift probably move a lot from individuals going to Facebook forums to potentially going to auction houses. I think when you're going to an auction house, you've got to have, you're not just throwing, like, I got three bottles. Can I put them on there? I think you're coming with a whole, you've got 200 bottles or something like that. You're trying to offload. You're trying to, you're getting out of the game. You're ready to just go ahead and cash in on your investment. But are people going and drove to these auction houses, people that had typically been on Facebook forms or anything like that. I remember my first purchase on unicorn auctions. It was probably about two years ago. Maybe it was a little bit less than that. Still, it was actually some good deals that I could be had in there. I was, I was getting a few dusties and everything like that. I got a, a good amount of beam decanters all for $35 or less. Right. I was like, we hit a little bit of gold mine. And then fast forward three months, all of a sudden the rest of the world caught on. And so now I can't, now I can't find that <laughs> stuff anymore. So are we seeing more people drive to those particular ways? Because I feel that this was one of the things that 
was so great about Facebook is because you're already there every single day. We are, are creatures of habit. We're already opening our phones. We're already scrolling through Facebook. And so you would just see it. Now I have to make a concerted effort to go and sign up for an auction, put my credit card down, make sure I'm there at the as the moments are ticking down to make sure I can snipe in a bit or whatever it is. Those were so such fun days. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just remember sitting on my couch and scrolling on, you know, the lotteries and just seeing what prices and stuff were. It was like so transparent right there. Yeah. You know, and now it's like somebody now all the time people text me and like, what's this worth? And I'm like, I have no idea. Whereas I used to be able to be like, you could go I look could up be like, oh, I'll look up and there it go. There was and one there was, sold two days ago. There know? was that there was that great spreadsheet kept by one of the forums, you know, that had all the working data of oh, it was wonderful. And the brands would get on there like yeah. I, they would they loved it too, except for one major company. I uh, did not like it. It, it uh but uh yeah, God, I missed that day. But I did have someone, you know, a couple weeks ago they reached out to me and they're like, Hey, I have these four particular Willet bottles and someone's going to offer me $60,000 for him. He's like, should I take them? Or do you think they're going to appreciate more? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's a hard thing to say. Four bottles for 60 K. Yeah. You know, it was like those big foots and the, the yeah. crazy rare. Will it, you know, I mean, early like, one. if he had four red hook rise, you know? Yeah. And so it, they weren't red hooks. They were just, the, they were will it the 21, 20, you know, those old, Iron Fist, Iron Velvet Fist, and glove yes, Velvet Glove, and all those. Yes, thank you, Kenny. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they'll keep <laughs> I had, appreciating because I had like five bottles of those. You, Why did I drink them? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I know. Now you're here with us. I know. Drew Colesby gave me like a 22 C one of, and like I just drank it. I should, <laughs> I should just sat on it, but it was very good. We're but, not good at this investment game, right? <laughs> no, I know. But it's like, what do I tell? I told him I think you should sell it because. They may appreciate, but I don't know if they'll appreciate as rapid as they have over the last 10 years. But who knows? Maybe I'll maybe pull the trigger too. See, I, it, and he did end up selling them because I'm in like, in that situation, I'm like, there's an incredible danger that I'm going to drink them. So <laughs> I better, if, if I want the money, yeah, I better sell them. Yeah. I mean, from my own personal way of looking at this, like I've, and you all have seen my collection, you've seen what I've purchased, and it's been harder for me to open these bottles as as the prices have increased over time mm -hmm. and I haven't figured out what my out is, if I'm ever going to do anything with it, because part of me goes, well, I'm never going to find this ever again because of just how big the market's gotten and how many more people are coming into it. So me being able to walk into a store and be one of five people waiting in line for antique collection drop day, that's not happening anymore. So do I have it? And I can say, all right, well, I've got at least a year's worth of college tuition here, or at least I have something I can drink for the rest of my life. So I haven't figured out what that out is for me. But one of the things that does concern me is the dropping of prices. I have seen the secondary market price drop on a lot of bottles, especially things like E.H. Taylor's Tornado. I think it used to be up to 12, 15,000. I think it's down to eight or nine now. And that is one of those things that's like, oh, I should have pulled the trigger when I did, but it's hard to sit there. And, I, and that's why I'm bad at the stock market too. I don't know when to sell. And, and so that's, that's one of those things. So do, do we look at the, the falling prices? Is this because of the changing consumer? Is it because yeah. of the recession? So I don't know if it was this episode or a previous one, but we've all talked about like people not hunting anymore. 
those people are growing. Those people who don't want to go out anymore and hunt. There's there's a lot of fatigue in this. Like people are just tired of it. Tired, especially of, the people that've been in it for a long time. Yeah, and and then there's also a, 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 the fact is that some people have an overconsumption problem, and bourbon has contributed to a failed marriage or something like that. I mean, it's that's a very real thing, and so people are just like completely getting out of not just collecting, but you know they're going sober. I think Sean Brock is, I was is, a, say, good, is yes, a great example. Though. Sean Brock, who uh, was very public about it, he wrote the forward to my book Bourbon. And of course, an incredible chef. He talked about this in the in the New York Times. He got out of it, but it was him and like two other people who carried the Stitzelweller market. And by the way, speaking of Bigfoot, I remember Sean Brock actually handing me a right. bottle of Bigfoot. We were passing it around, yeah, <laughs> whiskey pig, <laughs> yeah. whiskey pig, a yeah. few years yeah. ago. Yeah. He's shaving off country ham and passing around Bigfoot. God, and, we're like, <laughs> and then Bill Murray. And the Bill Murray shows up. Yeah. Bill Murray was dancing with my wife and yeah. my phone in the bush. He, he harassed. <laughs> he harassed every everyone's wives that night. <laughs> <laughs> Epic party, by the way. God, that was great. Yeah, I walk in. Drew Colsey and he's like laying on the floor. <laughs> Bill Murray is. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> People were not joking. Bill Murray was at this party. Like we, yeah, were, we were there. It was it was one for the record books. Yeah, the things that we've seen and done in bourbon. So there's a lot of people getting out who are part of that. Now, I think the dip in the prices of some of these that's because of that. But there's also yeah, is it because of that, or is it just because there was such a, a catastrophic rise that it had to plateau and fall, or had to fall a little bit and then start plateauing? Well, I think you just so bourbon is a. This world of bourbon attracts certain people of certain means. And right now there's a 25-year-old whiz kid, really good at data, really good at coding, and you know, making an, a nice living right now, $75,000, and is buying what he can, where, where he can, and just in love with the category. But soon he's going to come out with a code that changes something, and he's going to get Two, three million dollars. Now he's moving away from, uh, you know, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, really nice. Now he wants that uh, that tornado bottle he's heard so much about. And he's still going to have to go against this guy over here who wants that tornado bottle. So I think what's happening right now is like we've seen a lot of people, if this was a sports thing, we've seen a lot of people retire, right? A lot of people getting out of the game. This is, if you're getting a hardcore into bourbon, you got a 10 year window usually until, <laughs> until you either run out of money or something or bad patience. happens. <laughs> you know, patience is there too. But you got a 10 year window for your bourbon, your bourbon crazy career. Oh, crap. I've gone past that. <laughs> but I know. I know. We're, you know, we're past your prime here, aren't you? We're, yeah. in a, we're doing a professional. That's very different. That's right. And so, like, I feel like there's a new crop of uh, people coming up soon that will pick up the slack. But it's also, it's a continual education thing too, because people are going to come into it and they're like, what's a dusty? And then that starts the whole craze and then they go try to find it. And then they try to wonder why an old granddad from yeah, 1978 it's, it's funny you say that $600 value. You know, because we had this conversation about is bourbon popular because of Sazerac. And you do have all these newbies like so excited about Sazerac products, but then they're going to reach that fatigue of because they can't find them. And then they're going to go down the same path that we did. And you know, I guess if you did bourbon habit on a timeline and, you know, you had every year, you know, they're probably only like two year two to three. Right. And then at three to four or five, you know, they start really ramping up the, you know, the dusties, the the big barrel picks and this and that. And it's like, so I, I bet there's going to be a tsunami of 
just new people getting into yeah, that the, that the, geek, the geeks uh, the twenty eight to thirty four year old genre right now. You know when they get that you know next level money, it's gonna it's gonna hit, and, and that's where the economy uh, has a play in that. If if the economy falters, you know luxury luxury stuff goes. I mean the, the everyday bur- bourbon's not look bourbon's recession proof. Let's be very clear yeah. about that. $500 bourbon is not recession proof. And <laughs> we ask this all the time like when is the ceiling going to hit on some of these SRPs? That $500 bourbon a company could sell it for 80 and still make money. So they're going to be fine. But, you know, the economy will have an impact on all of this. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and we'll that I think that's still TBD and figuring out exactly what's going to happen with the economy, the recession and will that start pulling it back but I, I guess that is i mean have we seen a pullback in the market i think that we have i think that's maybe that i don't know if that really is for the investment portion of it but i do feel that we have seen a pullback in the market from just the general consumer mm-hmm. not buying as much as they did well and this yeah. is coming out of the pandemic the when pandemic. there was a big buying frenzy right yeah you had a lot of people with even that they, they had discretionary income before the pandemic they had a ton of discretionary income during the pandemic because they can do anything. And so they're just like getting into this habit. They can sit from the comforter house and pantry buy all these like rare and limited bottles. And so it's kind of, you know, now they're like, Holy shit, what am I going to do with all this stuff? So, you know, I think that that plays a factor in it too, that that pandemic side that we just can't predict what's going to, how we're going to come out of this is to be determined because it was such a strange, like two years of like, consuming and uh because you you weren't traveling you weren't going to yeah. restaurants you had this extra plus you had younger people that qualified for stimulus money you know that's why you saw those people getting in the stock game you know with the the whole uh, oh the rabbit ra- rabbit ra- robin hood thing yeah the robin hood the, the nfts everything. and all nfts and all that but now you're oh, oh you talking about the amc or amc yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> all that stuff and so like we've talked to our distributors they're like we're trying to go back to like what things were going on in 2018, you know, to kind of predict how we're going to play this year, because those were just such like softball years for them because everybody was pantry buying and this and that thinking like they can never go out again. And so they're just stocking up on as much bourbon or whatever alcohol as possible. So, wow. That's good insight. Yeah. And and the other thing is I want to also look at it from a producer standpoint. When we see the whiskey investment market, is it on the decline? We've all been to Total Wine. We've all been to you know, your Bevmos or whomever it is, and there's the glass cases. There's not a lot of stuff that moves in the glass case very quickly. Mm, uh, twice on, a year, on a, <laughs> maybe three. Yeah, you get your birthdays, you get your Christmas. And Derby. And Derby, I guess. Well, right. here in Kentucky. but Are companies starting to try to get in that glass case, and then is that becoming a shelf of death because the investment isn't there for those particular kind of bottles? Or is that just because they've tried to price too high for the market? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. 
Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. We've all been to Total Wine. We've all been to your Bevmos or whomever it is, and there's the glass cases. There's not a lot of stuff that moves in the glass case very quickly. Mm, uh, twice on, a year. On a, <laughs> Maybe three. Yeah. You get your birthdays. You get your Christmas. And Derby. And Derby, I guess. Well, right. here in Kentucky. but Are companies starting to try to get in that glass case, and then is that becoming a shelf of death because the investment isn't there for those particular kind of bottles? Or is that just because they've tried to price it too high for the market? I've always been fascinated by the glass case because, you know, before bourbon never made it to the glass case, there was always like scotch or cognac or yeah. this or that. And you're like, who the hell's buying these damn things? You know, it's it's always fascinated me. And they just... It's, a, it, it's also like, and having bought from that glass case, it's kind of like the store... Fred's rich. The sto- wait, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you, that, that the store will how many, stop. How many hundreds of millions of copies of you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my wife's buying from the glass case <laughs> now. Uh, so the the store will stop because the manager has to go back behind the thing to get the special key, and everyone knows what the special key is going to go for. You walk up to the glass case, and you're like, "I want that one." You know, last one I uh, last one I got was uh, a Saint Nicholas uh, Saint Nicholas uh, product. Old Saint Nick, yeah, yeah, I was getting an old Saint Nick, um, the cash strength rye. It was a present, you know, I was like, I had, I was trying to buy something that, that was special, different. And, uh, so I got that and, but it was like everybody, it was like really weird. And, and it was not because people recognized me or anything like that. It was because people were like, Ooh, what are they going to get? <laughs> What's it you know, it, it's like a, it's a whole scene when someone goes to the glass case and buys some, cause usually people are just like, Oh, look at that. Like a museum kind of quality. Yeah. I've never bought anything out of a glass case. I'm too poor. I, I have uh, on occasion. But I, I guess the, the, the question is, is that when we look at those bottles that sit in the glass case, from an investment standpoint, are people not buying them because there's not the investment quality there? And is that, and that's what I mean, is whiskey as an investment, are those not reaching that particular status level? It's hard because I think Fred's talked about this, like, Maybe it was on this show or maybe it was on a round table, but maybe like, it's just a pricing. Like issue. what bottles that are on shelves now are going to potentially be investment bottles. Right. You know, and I think right. you mentioned like Calumet 16 or. Yeah. I can't remember the other ones you said, but. Smoke uh, Wagon. Smoke Wagon. Smoke yeah. Wagon, this and that. Um, yeah. And it's like, 
I don't know, Kenny. I mean, I do think there's that market. Like I had friends, you know, just before Christmas, they're like, buy my boss something. I need to spend 350 bucks or this is my budget. I'm like, well, can you spend 70? And they're like, no, not nice enough. (laughs) And I I do think there's still that, you know, two or three times a year that the glass case makes sense. But I I just can't relate to it because I, I see it and I'm like, whoa, you know. Yeah. Well, soon you'll have the uh, custom crystal pursuit United, you know, we're getting there, there. but it, but it just seems too like, you know, what is, has that investment value now? 10 years ago, there wasn't like any glass case bourbons, you know, there was very few, but it seems like there's more glass case bourbons now mm-hmm. that are the fortified. So it's like kind of diluted the mystique and I guess, uh, I appeal think, to yeah, that. I mean, it, it, if you go with, you got to go with, you know, value versus growth. And I think I keep going back to smoke wagon. Smoke wagon has, has caught the same kind of lightning in the bottle, that Pappy did, and they did it. They've done it for different reasons, but uh, I think Smoke Wagon is one of those brands that his it has developed a following at auction. It does really well. You know, you get some of those like for those original thirteen year MGP stuff. Y- yeah, and, yeah. And everyone, you know, MGP's got an incredible reputation. Aaron comes out says I blended this differently, so I'm different, and so it gets and creates incredible following, and so like the. The smoke wagon fans are, I think there's some of the most, you know, enthusiastic group that you can find out there. And I think that they, in 10, 20 years, when they have some nostalgia to this time, they want, they're going to want that bottle. So let's think 10, 20 years from now, because we just talked about smoke wagon, 13 years, some of their other very high age ones. And that's what we look at a lot of stuff that does sell on the secondary or on the auctions. It's a lot of high age stuff or it's a lot of older stuff that you can't get anymore. But what's happening right now? Every single distillery is plopping down hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars in expansions to try and build their their category a little bit more. So what happens today is you'll have Heaven Hill, you'll have whomever, Wild Turkey, and they'll come out with some umpteen year release, whatever it is, it's small, it's limited. That's all you can get. But as people are creating more and more and more bourbon, well, they're not going to be selling at all. They're going to keep aging a lot of this stuff too. And I think Susan Wall was probably, who was on the show at one point, she said, wouldn't it be great if just Elijah Craig 18 was always available? Yeah. Or Henry McKenna or, you know. Exactly. So what happens to whiskey and his investment when, okay, We've now finally hit the eclipse where you can get Pappy 23 on the shelf again. What happens to whiskey as an investment? Is it done at that point? And should producers be careful of that and make it more scarce? Uh, no, because they don't care about the the investment side. They want the the volume plays now, I, yeah. I think. Okay, so that's, that's uh, that person sitting on these bottles, what should I do with them? Uh, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, It's I, hard to say because these bottles that you're – that we're ta- discussing are the rare, the rares, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, and that's why bourbon is the perfect product. Even if there's a flood of Pappy on the shelf, I'm sure they'll come out with a version, another decanter Pappy that's 25 years or 27 or whatever, you know, they got that damn last drop morgue, uh, not morgue, but it's a refrigerated warehouse Oh yeah, that they're going to have like these crazy 30 year old, I think yeah. they're going to have to get more creative, you know. With, it feels uh, good in there, by the way. It does feel good. It feels like, so good in yeah. there. 
I think there's going to have to get more creative with like what is these limited rare offerings. It can't just be like a 15 year old bourbon. Now, anymore. if we're going to go to that sell, sell, sell mindset, the investment, like you're sitting on these bottles, there is one thing that we haven't talked about that to me is a is a wild card for anybody looking at this as an investment, and that is the the legality of it all. So if you are an investor, you should look at it as a, as, as a high risk from a, a legal standpoint, because technically you need a license to sell alcohol, right? So you need a license to sell alcohol. So you're going to have to find like an avenue that can sell it for you. But there's a lot of movement to decrease that federally as well as stateside. So, or, or in individual states. So I think there are some nice loophole situations existing right now. Kentucky with the vintage spirits law, but you're getting wholesale. Uh, you got unicorn auctions, which is operating under an Illinois license, which they can buy from you right now. And, you know, on a consignment, all it takes is one or two lawmakers to say, you know what? We don't like that. Let's change it. You know, so this is, this world of investment is, is always going to be on the whim of what is going to be allowed by respective governments. And so that, and that is something for, for me as an investment perspective, scares the living shit out of me because we created a prohibition in this country, you know, and you've got, uh, right now you have all kinds of efforts to decrease what alcohol can do. So it's just something to think about. Well, I think there's always going to be a market for it, whether uh, it's a law. I mean, let's be fair. Whether, it's, whether there's whether a it's law. legal one or not. <laughs> it was like, uh, as Jurassic Park, that life will find a way. And so this will find a way as well. It, I mean, I go back to some of the old conversations I had of people that would reach out and they're like, I've got this country music star that would like to buy some Pappy Van Winkle. Would you like to sell? And that's just a friend of a friend of a friend, and that's how you kind of have something like that happen. So I believe that will always be there, whether you can do well, it legally or Well, I mean, so will cocaine. You know, selling cocaine <laughs> will always be there too, but you can go to jail for selling cocaine. I think that's, that's the kind of the point I'm trying to raise here is like, you know, if you... Evade the tax man. Yeah. If you are if you are going to do this, you've got to consider the ramifications of it, of all of it. Like, it's not a... So you're it's saying strike while there's a legal avenue. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Like if you like if you wait ten years, I mean I don't know. Like I mentioned the SEC like having people buying SEC licenses and stuff. I mean who knows? I mean that that could become legal. And that could be a, a legal avenue. But right now it's there's very few outlets. The federal government has has been pretty clear. Like you know we don't really care. It's it's whatever the states want. So you got to do it. You gotta you gotta make this play within a state that allows it, and you know that's not Michigan. You know if you live in Michigan, you all need to take a real close look at who you're electing because they are they are the most damaging state when it comes to uh, alcohol laws and reselling and yeah, things like that. Even shipping, tyrannical shipping. They're you know sidebar. I know Kenny hates it when I sidebar. Please go, but. There are <laughs> there are people from Mich in Michigan who have who are selling overseas, and so that's why I think that they are so protective there is because there's a couple of license holders, they're being allowed like as an exporter of of like the licensed goods that they're getting in the state to export overseas, so yeah, they're very protective there. Back to conversation, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so there's another another. <laughs> 
interesting thought that I had as we were talking through this because we talked about as, yes, we had this crazy just rise of prices between probably 2014 to 2021. 2022, we saw a dip and now we're starting to see either a dip or a plateau. What's it going to take to either have prices increase again or do you think that we have finally hit the mark of how much we're going to see for a lot of the secondary prices. Are they going to continue to go down or do you think that we will see a we'll see an increase over time again? I think there's got to be a a unanimous uniformed desired product that takes off and has a lot of people going after it. I keep mentioning over Pappy and BTEC and yeah. Electric 18 and yeah. stuff like that. I, I think there's got to be there's got to be another there's got to be another brand that brings in a new a new level high worth consumer that uh, people are interested in. Like BTEC, Pappy, they've got their fans. I think I think Whistlepig, Whistlepig has its fan. If Whistlepig can tap into like they've got the private jet guy, you know, can they now get middle manager? six figures income guy that uh, wants that one good bottle. Is he willing to go up against private jet guy in an auction? Because that guy, that six figure guy is willing to go up against someone in an auction that owns a private jet. They'll do that because they know Pappy. They know BTAC. But if Whistlepig can, can start luring in some of those other folks, I think Whistlepig could be a very, 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 Important player. So, do you feel that it's on the brands to sit there and try and and create that mystique where people yeah. people need to chase it's, after it and they got to find it? It's the McAllen. It's the McAllen uh, model. They don't even try to go to retail. They just say, "And we're starting now. The bidding at seventy five thousand dollars. <laughs> Who will be my first bid?" They don't. They don't go to the campers first. <laughs> no, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, not selling at retail. Yeah, I, I don't know. Kenny, that's a really good question. Uh, I think we'll have to have another spurt of like Fred was talking about of that 25 to 35 year old starting to earn that more discretionary income, you know, more expendable income or what am I using those words? Right. Yeah. That, I, I, but that I think that we, there was so much money and time in the market from 2020, I, I think that's just, we're going to see a pullback not just in whiskey, but for everything. I don't think it'll be a recession. I just think it'll be kind of like, like, all right, let's reevaluate. Like, I think everybody's going to kind of be in a reevaluation kind of mode and and their spending habits over the next 18 months or so. But I could be wrong. No, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We've seen the dip sort of happen already. I feel like prices are continue to drop slightly and that's because, as we had alluded to in the very beginning, I feel that the pool of people that are trying to find the tornadoes or they're trying to find these one-off Willet bottles, I feel that that is it's slowing down. I and mean, you got to think interest rates, though. Too, I mean, they've hammered the banking industry and real estate industry, like, and those are big. That's the industries that like to spend money, sure. and uh, you know, that's probably taking a toll on it over the past year or two, as they've steadily rose, they've seen less business on their side. And so they have less money to spend. So I don't know. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I just no, had that I mean, pop in my head. It's the same exact thing when we were trying to raise capital for our own venture, when we said, oh crap, we should have taken more money. We had the chance because people that lost their ass in the stock market. And now that interest rates are going higher, they're not as interested in putting their money towards yeah. 
they're not willing to take that risk yeah as much yeah as they were 2020 21 yeah so we'll we'll see i think it, it you're right i think a lot of this does have to have the effects of other markets that put an effect on this as we'd said before the the whiskey valuations they've always you've always if you get it at retail odds are you're probably going to be in a pretty good spot for for a little bit but you know if you're buying at the peak be careful because who knows what's going to happen over the next 18 months or 2 years or whatever it's going to be we might see a new resurgence of more people coming into it and that's going to create a greater pool of people that will hopefully increase the values but but who knows i I all, I all I can say is I do miss the days when all that data was right there in front of me and <laughs> yes. I didn't have to go and search on a auction site to figure out exactly what does something go for nowadays. But at least uh, at least we do have some legal avenues and, and mechanisms to make that happen. Yep. Uh, but with that, that's uh, it's going to talk about whiskey as an investment. So make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit if you like this show. Give us $4,000 and you'll be an investment into the podcast. That's just the best way because it's your money's going to go a long way. I'm just kidding. Wait, Don't we do have that, that avenue? <laughs> I'm like, what? Man, maybe not. Maybe not. I'm just, I'm throwing ideas and see if, uh, see if there's any whales out there that, that want to sit there and invest. In I don't, can you, like, I mean, once a, once a podcast, it, it airs, like it's, it's pretty much like and it gets the initial ad revenue it's pretty much worthless right <laughs> well not not necessarily it's kind of, it's kind of like an nft for right <laughs> <laughs> we'll dissect that at a later date but make sure you follow burn pursuit follow fred minnick over here if you like the show share it with a friend leave a review all those great things but with that cheers everybody we'll see you next week toodles bucket sucks <laughs>